Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life. And the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Aaron. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Corey. Glad to be here, my friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited about this episode because pre-talking earlier on the show about kind of the some of the things we're going to discuss here, I think a lot of people need to understand the environment of the marketplace, what's going on, and um, the shifts. And people are making different moves than they would normally. And I think you're in the same boat as a lot of us is the cheese has moved. And if you don't move with it, you're going to lose. So, but before we do that, why don't you give us a better rendition of who Aaron is and your company? Sure. Thanks a lot, Corey. So I am co-founder of a company called People's Capital Group, and we've been helping people invest in real estate here in New Jersey for over a decade. So I read a book, of course, uh, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm sure you've heard of. Many years ago, I was graduating from Rowan University in 2009, and it was a dismal, dismal job market. And I remember my college advisor said, well, just get a job wherever you can get it, put money in your IRA. When you're 65 and a half, you can pull out of it, you can retire and enjoy your life. And I was 22 at the time. That sounded kind of miserable. So I said, there must be another way to accelerate my wealth. And I really do want to own my own business. I am an entrepreneur. I majored in entrepreneurship. I had a little landscaping business before that. So I made a plan. I said, okay, I want to have a net worth of $1 million, a cash flow of $100,000 a year coming in. And I kind of worked my way down from that. I said, okay, I need to learn the business, make relationships, earn some money. And I said, okay, why don't I get my real estate license? I'll be a realtor and I'll learn the business that way, make some money and get started that way. So I did that in 2010. I got licensed. Uh, It was a dismal, dismal real estate market. I made $500 in my first six months of being a realtor. So I learned, I had to learn short sales. I had to learn REOs. I had to learn investors who were snagging deals for pennies on the dollar and how to get those deals for pennies on the dollar. So I learned that and became like a very investor friendly realtor. And I started making some money and I learned from investors. I teamed up with investors. I met Seth Martinez, my business partner to today. We bought a, a six family property in Newark, New Jersey. We buy houses sign and Bought it for two twenty, put sixty thousand into it, refinanced every dollar back out. A year later, we we're like, "Oh, this works." I uh, did that a few more times, ran out of money, and said, "Okay, so how are we going to do this? How are we going to buy more properties?" And we have deals. We know how to find deals. We know how to manage them and, and get the contractors going. Sure, we were learning as we go, but we were getting pretty good at it. So we said, "We got to figure out how to raise capital, how to connect with people, how to present ourselves in the right way, and, and show our track record." Although it's small and short at the time show what we're capable of and what we're doing. So we raised a little capital. We bought a 25-unit apartment complex, bought and sold that, and you know, kept flipping houses. We've done over 50 fix and flips, about 300 transactions together. And around 2018, you know, they say, you know what? We developed our management company in 2015. We really perfected the art of property management. Let's start buying bigger properties. Oops, we ran out of money again. We really need to figure out how to raise capital on a larger scale now beyond friends and family. And essentially spent the last five years cracking the code of raising retail capital. Now we're teaming up with family offices, high net worth individuals, broker dealers, RIAs, on top of our 100 or so retail investors, accredited investors, sophisticated investors that invest smaller amounts with us and kind of helped us get now to where we are in our portfolio and our business. Well, that's a wonderful 
rags to riches story, right? It's one of those things where I think about even myself in 2010 market, I was the investor, right? I was working with the realtors that knew understood it. And what a great lesson to come into that on the other side of the servicing side of it, a little bit more as the realtor, but realizing real quickly that there's tips to made from the guys that were actually buying it. And then being smart enough to hook up with one and say, let's go, right? Because I've got some skill sets too. And it's funny because that single family game, even though we don't teach it on this podcast, but we sprinkle it in a little bit, it's still not a bad precursor because a lot of my early capital was made out of necessity, just like what you're saying, Aaron, is there was no lending going on in 2010, 11, 12, really. And so you had to be very resourceful if you wanted to do more deals. You had to find capital. But as you climb up the one unit to five units to 100 units, that insatiable need for a lot more capital grows pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what you start to realize once you get about 100 investors going, just like if you have 100 properties, you start to say, whoa, I'm basically managing now. I'm managing people, right? Just like we develop- manage your properties. Now yeah. you got to manage the money. Yeah. They've got ins and outs. Someone died. Someone's got this. Yeah. How do you make all the payments? Right. How do you keep them organized? Correct. Correct. So we developed a property management company in 2015 and, and kind of took a few years to really solve the problem of property management, taking mismanaged apartment buildings, improving them. We realized that's such a heavy management lift. We really need our own team to do that properly, especially since we're very local here in New Jersey. But then over the last few years, what I've really had to learn is client management more so and kind of like wealth management in a way, a syndicator, when you're raising capital from dozens of people, you're basically a wealth advisor in a lot of ways and advising people on how to build their wealth, albeit in this specific asset class. And it's very different than being a realtor or a house flipper or a property manager and all the other things I had to be to get here is not what I actually do today. I'm really more of a, an unlicensed financial advisor. You're a wealth manager. Yeah, wealth manager. Wealth yeah. Manager. yeah. So I don't know if you know this, Aaron. I used to be a financial advisor, right? So that is my background, right? Right, right? So I go back to that piece. And that really is, we are in the wealth management business. Mm-hmm. Once you get to a certain level, the job is to raise capital for investors. And then the vehicle mm-hmm. is the real estate, right? Right. The right real estate with the right problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And essentially that's what we do. But the main job is like when my daily, probably your daily as well, is talking with investors. Yeah, exactly. And relationships. It's funny. I was just talking with an investor today and we probably sent them six or seven emails about a debt fund we launched a few months ago. The gentleman had no idea, right? And I'm just thinking to myself, it's so frustrating because here we are trying to have some type of mass source where I really don't want to have to pick up the phone and call a hundred people or so to let them know what's going on. That's the whole point of having a CRM and an email system. But the truth is, even when people know you, they want that kind of white glove service when it comes to investing their money. And they want to just chat with you about it. And what does it mean? What about this? And what do you got coming up? And kind of hear it from the horse's mouth. And We all as wealth managers have that vision of like clicking a button, sending out an email or syndicating or raising millions for our deal. That's honestly, maybe there's a few companies that can do that. But for the most part, when you are dealing with people, human beings, you really need to reach out to them through picking up the phone, a good old phone call. I know we can text, we can email this and that, but a good old fashioned phone call to people is really how we build that. It goes very, very far, doesn't it? It does. It does. Exactly. So you brought up the debt fund. Let's talk about, so 
debt fund. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that are probably listening to this, like, well, I understand what an equity fund is. Mm-hmm. What is a debt fund and what do you use it for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a debt fund is essentially a different type of fund and an equity, right? It's the opposite of equity, right? So when we go to buy a uh, real estate, right? Like for a fix and flip or something like that, generally you'll go to a hard money lender and get a loan. Well, we essentially built our own hard money lender by having a debt fund. Um, and by having our own capital there, uh, that allows us to buy fix and flips more quickly and save on costs as well. The investors that invest in that fund hold a promissory note and they earn a quarterly interest payment. So a lot of people like that because you can earn an eight, nine, 10% interest payment on your investment and know exactly what you're getting when you're getting it, right? right? Where an equity fund, there's a lot more variables. Well, a lot more risk too, right? A lot more risk, sure, exactly, exactly. We can't say the G word guarantee, but essentially a debt fund, you're holding a promissory note. So it's about as sure a thing as you can get in this space. And there's no variable to it. That principle, that interest is owed no matter what. Does the underlying collateral in that debt fund get collateralized by the property? Or is it just like, are you buying like seconds or like using bank debt and then creating a second for that debt? Yeah. So the debt fund has to be secured in a first lien position on properties that only we're buying and operating, only lend to ourselves, and only- And these are the specifics that, and guys, by the way, we're going into specifics of the fund, what it means, but those things are really important. But when you set it up, that makes total sense because you're basically creating a pool of capital to operate from. Instead of going to the marketplace Mm -hmm. where they're saying, here's my terms, take it or leave it. You're going to create the terms that you really want to be able to do this business. And it may not be as much because you got to think if you're buying from a hard money lender, they're probably have their pool of investors and they're charging a premium on top of that, mm-hmm. that they're making. Yeah. And it also allows smaller investors to get invested in real estate where the minimum investment's $30,000. But the first investment the debt fund made was into a property for $450,000. So yeah. Normally, if you wanted to be the lender on that deal, you'd have to write a check for four hundred fifty grand. But in this yeah. case, you can invest in a fund, put thirty grand in, or you know, you're spreading it around the risk right. ground to a bunch of different projects mm-hmm. that you're in that's collateralized. Exactly, exactly. And there's rules of the debt fund, LTV. We can't go above. So there's rules we have to follow as well as the operators, and that's important whenever you're investing in a fund. Yeah, that is very actually smart because you can control your costs a little bit better. And then also, you know what you have available to go buy, mm-hmm. right? Cash is king when you're out there making acquisitions, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And is that what you use the debt fund for? That's exactly it. We saw opportunities coming out of the woodwork around this uh, last quarter and the quarter before in the residential space. We kind of saw the writing on the wall that, okay, commercial prices are still coming down. That's going to be a little bit of a lag. We are bullish on getting some great commercial deals in 2024, but North Jersey here, prices are still kind of high. But in residential, there's just so many more deals. It's more palatable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's have money to strike while the iron's hot. Mm-hmm. And you buy during the pain. And this is what's the crazy part is like, the pain's lagging in the commercial side, I believe, right? Like it's just now starting to percolate and finding, showing signs of life in the right marketplaces. Right. But that really is what that debt fund allows you to do is to go out and buy now, buy right. Exactly. Right. It's a strike All cash. Boom. Let's just go. Yep. I can close tomorrow as long as you can get the paperwork done. Right. Yep. Well, yeah. But once the title's ready. Yeah. Yeah. However long it takes title to get the paperwork done, we can close. Yeah. 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 People always say, oh, I'll close in 24 hours. Like asterisks when title is ready. And like title can take a week. So that's a little trick of the trade. 
Now, on the single family stuff, that's your property management side. I'm assuming you do that and smaller multis and multis and all that stuff there too within the same management company. Yeah. That's right. So every asset we own is managed by our in house management company. The debt fund is used just to buy smaller properties, generally million dollar acquisitions or less. For any larger scale properties, 20 units plus, we're going to be using the equity fund. And that's really the first acquisition we're probably doing with the equity fund is a ground up development of 790 self-storage units in northern New Jersey here. Yeah, let's talk about self-storage because I am about ready to do my first self-storage development as well. Yeah, And I am still trying to get as much information as I can about the process because I've never done one. Mm-hmm. And so I'm learning. I'm learning right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we've been hearing about self-storage for years. It's nothing new. Probably the last five years, it's been around, especially in the real estate community. And I always liked it. I think my biggest regret is not buying in five years ago before everyone and their mom heard about it. So, you know, it's definitely a bit of a saturated space, but I'm coming out of multifamily. I mean, talk about a saturated space, right? So, and also like no one's doing it, how good a space could it be, right? But I think the bottom line is multifamily self-storage kind of go hand in hand. A lot of times you'll have the same clients, but you also a similar type of product you're putting out to the market. It's a little bit different model, but like it's still real estate and it's still cash flowing deals, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's not like I'm going in like opening gas stations or something. It'd be like very different. You know. But in this case, yeah. So for the most part, it makes a lot of sense. The cost to develop it is a fraction of what it costs. Fraction. To That's the whole piece. I own dirt, right? And so- yeah. I've had this dirt for a while. And finally, I went and got a feasibility study. And they're like, oh, hold on. There's a big demand for, what do you call it, when they're all uh, climate controlled, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? They're like, there's nothing in your immediate radius that's that. And you're in the right location. There's a huge demand. You've got a lot of big traffic count on your street. Yeah, This would be a really good spot. Right. And then you're like, those wheels start to turn. You're like, oh. Well, tell me more, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the management of it is much more simple. The eviction process is easy. It's almost automated now, right? Pretty much automated. There's a lot less moving pieces. There's a lot less legalities to it. And it leases for not as much as multifamily, but like not that far off. Yeah. It's a lot less to build it for the cost for as much as it leases for. It's incredible. Yeah, I think it's a lot less risk in the money you put out per capita, right? But again, everybody that's been in apartments at least... These last two years have been hell, mm-hmm. right? I don't know how it is for you, but like these last two years for me, it has not been like the smoothest, lovely waters. It's been a damn hurricane almost every year for the last couple of years. And I think there's a lot of new investors that came into apartments from the single family side that flooded the marketplace and made a lot of bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are going to catch up probably next year. Right. Because they're running out of capital. Right. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of that, I don't see that happening so much for the self-storage space. Right. I just see some saturation, yes, in some markets. But if you understand what you're doing there, I feel like there's a pretty nice level field. And then I just go back to the other side. I'm an apartment guy. So I generally would want to buy apartments. But in my opinion, that's the opportunity. What is your opportunity? Where do you see uh, blue waters? Hey, this is Shelly Peterson, Corey's better half. My husband shares amazing stories of the good, bad and ugly of apartment investing. And while many of you want to do this yourselves, we have found that a lot of you would like to invest alongside with us. If that is you, I want to invite you to get on a short webinar where we discuss our deal room and how you can be a part of our private investor club. Go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash webinar and register now. 
you won't be disappointed. Again, go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash webinar. And we look forward to sharing our private deal room with you. Well, I think now or the next 18 months is the time to buy. It's so silly when people are in the investment and buy mode in a hot market. It's like complete opposite fundamentals of investment. You should actually have your buyer's hat on now when there's blood in the water. So you're absolutely right. I don't see though anything like what we saw in 2008, where you could basically throw a dart and get a deal. It's going to be deal by deal. We're talking this one landlord whose mortgage rate just went from 2.8 to 6.8. Now he's saying, ah, I want this price. I want my top dollar. And we're like, all right, fine, buddy. Good luck. Time is on our side. So that's one conversation with one property. Let's say you're having 50 conversations like that, right? Chances are one of those sellers is going to wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, realize they're completely out of cash. Their mortgage rate has doubled. I mean, the guy we're talking to is living in one of the units of the 100 unit complex and cutting the grass himself to save money. It's only a matter of time till he's like, what am I doing? He's going to get worn down. Yeah, he's going to run out of personal money he's writing into the property. And it's a big asset, a mom and pop landlord. So deals like that, that we're just waiting, just be patient. We are seeing them come out of the woodwork and that's for existing assets. And then the other thing is, we're also doing a lot of marketing, by the way, to potentially distressed landlords. That has yet to really pan out, but that's something we're really getting more aggressive with now. You need to market generally a year in advance of getting the deal. So if you think the deals are going to be coming out in this next year, you should be marketing now to line up your relationship with those landlords. Just like with someone who invests capital, someone that sells you their property, at least in commercial real estate, same with residential, but especially in commercial, it's a relationship game a lot of times. So. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to want to have the conversation like, hey, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still yeah. here. I'm right. still here. And finally, you're like, you know what? I'm tired of, yes, yeah, make it go away. Yeah. And I'm not going to call my broker. I'm going to call you first. Yeah. Because I don't even want to spend the cost to go to the broker to have them do all the work. Right. Come to me direct. Because a lot of times they'll be like, hey, Aaron, I'm really happy you called me. I know we've been talking for the last two years. Yeah, I listed the property yesterday. It's up on the market. You can Google it. I'd love you to buy it. And you're thinking like, are you critting me? Now I got 18 other bids on it and a 6% yeah. real. Why do we just do this? Yeah, that's not what I was asking you to do. Yeah, so that happens. And you got to be ready for them. So that's one way to get existing deals, patience, many irons in the fire. That's why I focus on a market. We stick to a market. We stick to what we know, you know, boots in the ground, realtors, wholesalers, landlord relationships, direct mail marketing. And then the other side of our equity fund is going to be focusing on ground of development. Because quite frankly, here in New Jersey, like many places, there's not enough real estate. They can't build it fast enough. The amount of red tape to develop in a blue state, that's my next book, Red Tape in a Blue State, is... Uh, <laughs> I just like the title. I haven't started working. Yeah, I love it. Yes. (laughs) But it's tough. You got to know how to navigate it. So that is what we're looking at now. And this is a great time for me to plug my book called Trust But Verify, right? I like that. The Passive Investor's Guide to Valuing Real Estate Syndicators because it's really not all syndicators are created the same. Yeah. And this is the thing you'll need. So to get this book, text the word TRUST to 480-500-1127 and we'll send it to you for free. But you gave me a great ideal for the book plug as well. And the reason I wrote this book is because I love the title. I was like, so many times, and I see so many great investors partner with bad operators. Right. And it's really usually about disclosing, right? And showing the numbers, right? And I think we all have to agree though, the certain part of the market has been tough, right? So the latitude of understanding that things can happen in real estate is 
that's real, right? It's really how are they getting through it and what are they doing? Are they, and are they actively fixing problems? I think that's more important than ever. Sure, of course. And that's partly why you created your own management company. That's exactly why. We had fired three management companies before we hired our own. The first one we hired was a big nationwide company, promised the world, did a terrible job. And when we asked them why occupancy was a 75%, they said, Oh, that's the market. It's class C real estate. He said, that's how you still told us when you were selling us on your service. You said you'd be at 99% the whole time with like incredible confidence. And they blew it. The next one we hired. So we went then to a small mom and pop company, like the complete opposite of the spectrum, figuring that makes sense. And they ended up stealing about $8,000 from us. They would meet tenants at the property, collect the first month's rent, security deposit, and then pocket that. And then meet another tenant there, do the same thing, pocket that. So at least the same unit out to like three different families and then run off the money. So we had to take them to small claims court and we hired a third management company after that. And just, they were okay, but they really weren't treating our properties the way we wanted them to be treated. We realized, you know what, to do this right and to instill confidence in our tenants and our investors, we really need to develop our own management company. That was around 50 units. So we're about 150 now. We've sold a number of properties and bought a number since then. So, you know, it's really uh, kind of allowed us to manage our properties more closely and build faster. Aaron, this is funny because we just did this this year. We vertically integrated 3,000 units this year. Wow. And I said I would never do it. I said I would never, never do it. And I ran up exactly the same thing. I had a big national company and they're just like, they promised the world. And you're like, they should have all the tools. They should be able to fix it. And it comes down to people and caring. Right, right. Right. And we care because we're owners and most third-party property management companies are not aligned with the same alignment because they only get paid on top line numbers. Right. The expense side never comes into the equation. (laughs) And so I always felt like we were never properly aligned and they just didn't want to get it done like we did. And so that was our experience too, Aaron, is once we took over, I mean, it was painful. Mm And now we're starting to really get into it where we're starting to see so much improvement. And I'm sure you felt the same way once you really got integrated and going. How did that feel? Well, you know, it took a while too. As we developed the property management company, it was not immediate because we also had to kind of learn the space as we developed the company. So the first thing we did was we took a lot of the contractors we were working with and we said, oh, if we bring them on and put them on salary, we can save money. That's what we thought. That's what the spreadsheet said. So we put all these contractors on salary. Now we got this big fat salary. We got all these jobs going. We're kind of a, basically a construction company, a renovation company at that point. And all of a sudden the jobs took twice as long and the quality of work really suffered and the cost skyrocketed because we had to send them back to go keep fixing all the stuff they were supposed to fix the first time. And when you get paid by the hour or there's no incentive to finish quickly, then you really, you just, things were moving much more slowly. So then we got all of our contractors off payroll. We worked with them on a project basis, a performance basis. That started to improve costs and speed up the projects as well. We fired a lot of bad contractors who we just kind of were making excuses for, realized we got to be fast to fire, slow to hire, which I think sometimes we still struggle with managing properties. And so, yeah, now we've about eight contractor groups that are really good at what they do. We don't give them too much We really consistently hold our feet to the fire. We always get multiple quotes, even though we know who we're going to go with, just to say, hey. You're still following your process to make sure that you don't ever get in a spot in the jam anymore, right? Yeah, and we could fire you at any time. You're an independent contractor. Every contractor has a shelf life, in my opinion, right? Yeah. 
They do. They've always got to be reminded of who has the upper hand. Mm -hmm. And listen, you can work with some guys for a long, long time. And that works out really well. And like you said, you already know who you're probably going to give it, but you got to keep them honest every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll be like, hey, listen, Joe Blow came in $10 more. I need you to match that price or I'm going to have to give it to him. And sometimes you do give it to him. They're like, what happened? It's like, hey, listen, you got to teach him a lesson every once in a while. Yeah. 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 So-and-so got that one. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. well, yeah, you know, like we got to make sure that we're in line. Hey, would you like to learn more about Kahuna Investments in our deal room? Let's do virtual coffee. Book a 15 minute call with us so we can learn more about your investment goals and how Kahuna Investments can help. Go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash coffee to book your call today. Again, that's kahunainvestments.com forward slash coffee. Let's have some virtual coffee and get to know one another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we'll do that all the time. You know, we'll give it to another contract. We also know the limitations of our contractors, right? So like contractors, they can do any job, anything. Yeah, I'll get it done in a week. Know your contractor limitations. We learned that one the hard way. Well, usually you put them in a cycle too. You already know your kind of your cycle of who needs to come in what. And Mm -hmm. so you already know what they're doing. A lot of times you already kind of know they're at here. They're going to here. They're going to here. They're going to here. Yeah. You know, if you put in another big job, that's going to overwhelm. We're going to have to find another guy that you can run through that cycle for that, right? Yeah. Or like we'll have a team that does like apartment building turnovers, right? So they're kind of good at like the renovation between like 4,000, like 20,000. That's their sweet spot. Then we had a single family home that was like a hundred thousand dollar reno. It was just like destroyed by the tenant, very outdated. Different subconscious group, right? Yeah. You don't use the guy for the $10,000 job for the $100,000 job. You got to use a different guy for that. So even though the guy who does your $10,000 jobs be like, oh, that $100,000 job, I'll do it for 80. You know, and the guy who does hundred thousand dollar jobs is like, there's no way we can get it done for eighty guy. It's gonna be a hundred. This is what it's gonna really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know all the things that's gonna go wrong that the other guy has no idea, right? Right, because he's busy doing eight to ten thousand dollar jobs. There's no idea what he's getting into. Yeah, he knows what lipstick looks like. This guy's like, I'm telling with the real work, right? We're really gutting the whole thing down. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so what's the goal? Where does Aaron end up? Where's Aaron's vision for his company? Sure. So People's Capital Group, my business partner, Seth Martinez, and I, we have a vision to um, really build our holdings up to ideally around $500 or so over the next five to seven years is ideally our vision here. Now, what we're doing right now is we're launching a $30 million equity fund. We're teaming up with the family office as an anchor investor. We have different RIAs and broker dealers as well we're teaming up with and co-GPs. And of course, our network of over 100 private investors on top of that. And then out of that $30 million equity fund, we're ideally taking about $1.2 million of it and launching two Reg A funds. These Reg A's will be a $75 million equity product and a $75 million debt product that will complement each other to buy ideally $150 million worth of real estate, which will then renovate and develop and move on and grow that fund up to a value ideally of $250 million or so. And that could be a small cap that can then go public as a reg A as a small stock exchange, American Stock Exchange Board is a small cap REIT, essentially. Yep. This is your broker dealer. This is getting into a broker dealer model that really allows you to be on their platform and where you can go out and raise these broker dealers, smaller boutique. I don't know. Well, it all depends who you're using, but they'll go out and go out and raise all the capital for you. Yeah. A lot of the guys we're talking to were like, okay, we're going to raise 30 million. I'm like, listen, I got at least three to 5 million in investors ready to go right now. They say, yeah, that's great. 
We don't need that. We got the full 30. And then it's up to us. Like, okay, do we want to save on broker-dealer fees? We want to make sure we can service our investors as well. Understand the fees and the costs to use to open up that piece of collateral, right? Right, exactly. And once you bring in a BD, you then you got to pay them a fee no matter who invests. Now, if you're bringing in the investors yourself, that fee will be much less, but there's still a processing fee at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. So it's funny because when I used to be a financial advisor, this was Edward Jones, but we had to have a bond. We'd go to our bond, which is like REITs, and there's a certain screens you'd look at. And I'd go to the REIT screen every day, right? So I'm looking at different REITs and you'd see, let's say People's Capital Group comes up with tranche of 50 million, $100 million tranche. And when those shares are gone, and they'll be gone by the end of the day, right? So if it was a, just a little bit more attractive rate than everything else out there, mm-hmm. it would be so quickly gone. You're like, boom. And these guys would raise hundreds of millions of dollars just like that, right? But to get on a broker-dealer platform is not easy, right? No, it's not easy. Yeah, you have to have a track record. You have to really engage with a consultant generally that's going to help you prep your PPM and your pitch deck and your whole fund so it's uh, legal and attractive for broker-dealers to get involved. The right broker-dealer to say, yes, let's be a part of this, right? Right. And then getting your foot in the door at the broker-dealer is not easy either. Picking up the phone or emailing them, good luck. You really need to have someone that has an in. Generally, there's a cost to that. You could also go the wholesaler route, but what we're probably going to be doing is hiring a consultant that's going to advise us on the development of the fund. So it's very broker dealer friendly. And then that same consultant has been in the BD space for 45 years and has a ton of contacts he can warmly introduce us to and kind of vouch for us as well. So that's how we visualize our plan to get this done successfully. Yeah, beautiful. That'll be like turning on a spigot, right? The trick now is needles in the haystack is what you talked about, right? Yeah. Well, we have pretty good deal flow. And one of the problems is going to become now, we have our group of investors and we have co-GPs and we have other people we want to make sure we can include in this fund. And we don't want to like make a fund and have it fully funded by some BD and then have no place for our current investors. So we're trying to structure something that's fair for everyone. Yeah, a piece for each tranche, right? Exactly. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. That's a place where everybody wins, right? And everybody can benefit and do really good stuff to make an effect change, right? We got to have out-of-the-box thinkers right now because when there's these murky waters of markets where we're at right now, there's a little bit of uncertainty. We don't even know exactly what's going to go on. We just know that something's off. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And could it get worse? For sure, right? But usually that is the market for us. We know this. You went through it, Aaron. I went through it as well. I remember 2009, 10 very well. 11, 13, those are all great years. And I only wish it would happen again, right? And I'd have the knowledge I have today. Yeah, well, I mean, that was a very wild time. I gotta say, I own a lot of real estate now. So if real estate dropped by a third, I don't know how well I'd be sleeping at night. But yeah, I mean, what I see now, the reason I'm not as scared as as everyone else, because I got started in 2010. I know what a real recession looks like, a real real estate recession. You would list properties then a really good price and no one would call. And you'd have to like just drop ridiculous amounts. Your seller would hate you by the end of the listing. We would go to the sheriff's sale auctions, like shooting fish in a barrel. It's beautiful. But everything you hit was a deal. Oh, gosh, we made so much quick money that time. But I got to say, at the end of the day, that was a real estate recession. Now, I don't think we're seeing that here in the next year or two. I do think the feds are probably going to try to start to bump down interest rates a little bit, maybe end of next year, depending on where inflation goes, because they don't want to be the bad guy either. 
They don't want to do this hard landing. There's a political election coming up. They probably are going to want to start to bump them down for that. Turn on a little bit of relief. Let things kind of start engines clicking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. watching that treasury every day, dude. Like, yeah. yeah. And then people are going to say, whoa, rates are coming down. That means prices are going to go up. That means this window of time to get a deal is ending. I have to go out and buy now. I'll refinance later because the price you pay is permanent. The rate you get is temporary. The rates will come down next year. I'll refinance, whatever, da, da, da. So I think this is a window of time before the feds lower rates or indicate they're going to lower rates even. Just swoop up some good deals for sure. Yeah, you got to be ready. It's going to be deal by deal though. It's not going to be like the whole market's on sale. It's going to be deal by deal. Yeah, I totally agree. So, well, as we wrap this thing up, man, I uh, appreciate your time and just like the confidence and really just the understanding of the market cycle, what you're doing with capital, I think is amazing. Any books that you've been reading that has really turned the needle for you that you'd love to share with the audience here? Hmm. I should read more books. That was something I was thinking the other day it would definitely be good. I read the one guy who does Lone Star Capital, uh, Rob Beersley. I read his book structuring debt and equity for real estate syndication. Not a very good title, but it was a good book. So that was interesting. That guy's doing some big stuff down in Texas there. I've been following him a little bit. And boy, I got Jay Connor's book here. Jay Connor was on our show, Where to Get the Money Now. Yep. I know Jay real well. Okay. Yeah. He came on our show, our podcast, the Passive Cashflow Podcast. So I started paging through that a little bit. Honestly, I haven't read the whole thing, but it looks pretty interesting. But, you know, I honestly should read more books. I don't read enough books. I read a lot of articles, but boy, oh boy, do I need to take more time to read books. Yeah. That's all right. I've got you on trust, but verify. <laughs> there you go. Trust, but verify. What's right. the, we'll send it to you. What's the number I got to text? You're going to text the word trust. Okay. To 480-500-1127. And we will send you our book, Trust, but Verify. Wow. I'm going <laughs> to do that. I'm going to do that. So I text my social security number to 480. Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. You'll be yeah. in my system forever. <laughs> uh, Aaron, if you could give advice to anybody listening, that's probably fairly kind of new to the business, what would you tell them? I would say stick to one part of the business and focus on it. I read Joe Fairless's book in 2013. And I said, I want to be a real estate syndicator. That's what I want to do. And I raised $400,000 and bought a 25-unit building. Then I went out to raise another $400,000 and buy another 25-unit building. And I realized I exhausted my friends and family and I need to figure out how to really raise capital. And I wasn't successful on the second raise. But if I just figured out how to raise capital and stuck as a real estate syndicate, arguably i'd be where joe fairless is at 2.2 billion dollars in holdings so <laughs> right hey and that is the great divide by the way right so that's the biggest division between my single family fix and flip brethren right yeah. and the guys that are really you know the, the 2.2 billion dollars of kind of assets under management cash flowing right you know living a whole different life the one thing that separates everybody is what you just said, Aaron, is the ability to raise capital. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. That is the one skill set, guys, if you're listening to this show, you have to master. Mm -hmm. Raising capital is not easy, but it's not hard either. It really is about developing a skill set and a muscle memory to be able to 
talk to the way investors want to be talked with, show them a real business plan, and they need to understand that you understand what you're doing. And then you just got to be able to tell so many people and get so good at what you're communicating that you'll become better. And when you become better, you'll start seeing more people convert. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Raising capital is a whole different beast, different than being a realtor, different than operations. And it's a relationship-based business. But it is a bit of the chicken and the egg. It's hard without a track record to raise capital. So what I would suggest is teaming up with someone that has the track record, Bingo. teaming up with someone that has the infrastructure. And that is where you ride those coattails. Everyone has, first of all, the low-hanging friends and family you could raise capital from. If you have the right team behind you, they will invest. And then beyond that is learning the art of raising capital. It's not cheap. It's not easy. But yeah, I agree 100%, Corey. That's what it is all about. Unfortunately, if you're doing that, it's really more wealth advising, sales and, and capital raising. So if that doesn't turn you on. If that's not your passion, then find someone that is in that space. And if you're more in the operations and you want to go out and buy real estate all day and underwrite deals, that's awesome too. But you're going to need someone who knows how to raise capital and loves raising capital. Yeah, it really is the difference in the delta between the two. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time of your day to share some of your wisdom, some of your insights. Guys, success is not by accident. It happens by choice. You've got to program your mind and say, today's the day. Today's the day I'm going to start and pave my way. Aaron had that idea way back when, 2010. He's like, I'm going to start my journey. And he got busy. And he's not stopped and look at him now, guys. It can happen to you too, guys. If you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible. 